Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. G'day, welcome to the Low Rates, High Returns podcast with me, Pete Wargent. I'm here, as always, with Stephen Moriarty. G'day, Steve. How's things? Good, good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We're going to talk today about another of our investment strategies, or not our investment strategies, another of the popular investment strategies in this mini-series that we're doing. Uh, Before we come on to today's strategy, which is the permanent portfolio, let's talk a bit about what's going on in the world at the moment. Uh, One of the themes over recent years has been that emerging markets have been relatively much cheaper than the US. That's still the case. Um, But at the time of recording, there's a lot going on in terms of uh, rising geopolitical tensions, Mm. uh, namely in the Ukraine, but also there's issues with China and so on. And what do you think about emerging markets? Still an opportunity in that area? Or do you think that uh, some of these global tensions could be a problem? Yeah, good question. I think generally emerging markets are... uh considered to be cheaper than developed markets and have been for a little while. Emerging markets haven't performed that well as a group over about, I think, the last five or 10 years. The issues going forward are going to be pretty interesting, to be quite honest, because, as you mentioned, the geopolitical stuff, a lot of emerging markets are tied in terms of currency to the US dollar, and that occasionally creates real problems. Um, Asia... 1997 to about 99, I think, or 2000, had the financial, you know, blow up over there, basically because they were all tied in with the US dollar. Um, And then when that ran against them, um, that caused a a real crisis. So, um, look, it's, it's hard to say. I think there's some good value there in some of the markets. But as you would know, Russia's just gone to the pack, um, basically gone to zero, which is a bit of a black swan event because, you know, you, you'd never wake up and just go, gee, I wonder what, you know, I wonder what would happen if they invade Ukraine. That's been an interesting one, actually, because you, you often, when you're reading history books and you say, oh, you know, what about the time when uh, this that was obvious. stock exchange, <laughs> you know, got, uh, got nationalised or, you know, yep. the stock exchange was closed. And you think, well, that's very interesting, but it's not going to happen today in the here and now. And yet here we are. The Russian uh, sanctions have been imposed, and yep. to all intents and purposes, you can't buy Russian stocks. Uh, you know, you look on the FTSE now, you just can't. Um, you, you know, you log on, you just can't access, even though they're penny stocks in London, you just can't access them. And um, I suppose uh, th- this might actually reflect, in some instances, with emerging markets, they are cheaper for a reason. You know, if you've got despotic rule, and mm. uh, you know, not to get into the politics of it today, but. There are different risks as uh, compared to, say, investing in the US, say. So. Yeah, yeah. It um, Look, as people know, and they've been following us through the podcast, I've, I've talked about Russian stocks being cheap, um, and they have been. 
Um, and they were. And now they're really, really cheap. Now, I will <laughs> say a caveat here. Um, I've had people contact me in the last couple of weeks, sort of, oh, wow, Gazprom's at a dollar. You know, I should buy Gazprom. Uh, no, you shouldn't buy Gazprom at a dollar. Um, the reason why is simple, because, again, you've got to look at those geopolitical risks and say, well, can it bounce back? Absolutely. Will it? Gee, I'm not sure. Um, and so it's a very high-risk uh, situation. Again, like we talked about in our episode last week, it's really important that you look at ETFs and indexes. Even in this case, the Russian one wouldn't have helped you um, because you get these sort of black swan events. And again, like you just said, Pete, you tend to read history and go, oh, oh, geez, anyone could have seen that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. Um, and as I sort of say to people, well, 99% of people didn't think Russia would invade Ukraine. Then 99% of people said, oh, well, the Americans and Europeans won't sanction, you know, Russia. Then we said, you know, X, Y, Z. So the, at the moment, the situation is really, really fluid. And the point being, at some periods in, in history or in your investment journey, you will get periods where nobody really knows what the hell is going on. And so what you have to do is adapt your strategy to that sort of macro situation. And that's what we talk a bit with the permanent portfolio. But it's, it's really critical that you, and this is why we talk about having a dynamic strategy. And what we mean is, we don't mean day trading or weekly trading. What we're saying is you've got to continually assess the, the perimeter or the, the horizon and say, is it the same as it was six months ago? And so I've been saying to people just in the, you know, since this conflict started, and as I said last week, history is no longer that useful to you at the moment because it's not a run-of-the-mill recession where you can go, oh, well, great chance to buy cheap stocks. The government will step in, they'll spend a lot of money and everybody will be hunky-dory again. Um, this is a, a sort of a black swan event to start with. But secondly, you hear that saying, this time is different. And we sort of experienced investors go, you know, <laughs> no, it's not. This time's not different. Well, this time may well be different. And so from that point of view, you've got to adjust your strategy to accommodate that. You can no longer go, oh, you know, last week we talked about Drayman. So you can't just go, oh, cool, I'll buy a Gazprom because it's on a PE1. So you buy it and then it gets locked out of every market and Putin will nationalise it and you end up losing your money. And you tend to think, oh, well, that's a stupid strategy. And it's like, no, 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 you just did it at the wrong time. That's more you than it is Drayman. Yeah, it's like that uh, social media meme. Last month, I was an expert in global <laughs> pandemics. Uh, you know, this month, uh, geopolitics is my new area of expertise. I guess this is why we always talk about the eight timeless principles of investment. And um, asset allocation is a key one. Global uh, stocks overall have been very expensive. Um, so you didn't want to be overexposed, but also diversification. You want to spread your risk across a range of investments. You're never overexposed yep. to any one position. And that always applies, hence the eight timeless principles. Now, in that vein, today we're going to talk about uh, one of the popular investment strategies called the permanent portfolio, effectively holding stocks, bonds, gold and cash. 
Uh, some people might say you could replace gold and precious metals maybe with more digital or uh, sort of crypto type investments these days. I'm not going to argue the toss on that one. Don't. Don't. I guess the, the point being here that this is a very valid strategy for people who want to avoid getting absolutely crippled by big uh, downturns and at various points in your life, particularly as you get towards accessing your superannuation, this becomes more important. You mm. don't want to lose half your money going into retirement. So, uh, Steve, give us a, a rundown about the history of the permanent portfolio. Then we'll talk about how it's actually performed over time. Yeah, so yeah. when was it created and who by? Yeah, a guy called Harry Brown created it. And so basically what it, Harry said was... And I think you may have said it before, I'm not sure, Pete, you mentioned the all-weather portfolio. And what it is basically saying is there are periods when economic growth is really good and stocks will do really well. There's periods where economic growth is not that good and that's when bonds will do really well. Um, there's periods where there's stock prices are too high and you should probably have some money in gold um, and, of course, the portion of cash. So what he said was... The way that you should do it is have 25%. So if you've got a million bucks, you've got 250,000 in stocks, uh, US index, you've got 250,000 in gold, you've got 250,000 in bonds, and you've got 250,000 in cash. Every 12 months or six months, whatever your time period is, you rebalance it all back to 25% each. So for example, if, you know, being uh, extreme here, if your million dollars becomes 2 million, well, then everything goes to 500,000. Now, if your stocks are at 772,000, you've, you've got to sell 272,000 to bring it back to 500. Or if there's basically gold has gone down 100 grand, you've got to put some of the cash into gold to rebalance it where everything's again back at 25%. That's the essence of, of how it works. It's, you know... It's not rocket science. Yeah, no, I suppose um, one of the things that people would say a lot, and I might even include myself a little bit in this basket, is that look, I can't really be asked to invest in bonds these days yeah. because, you know, especially if you're looking at long-term bonds, which is how the, the permanent portfolio would be constructed, if you're looking at you know long-term bonds that are paying a couple of percent or three percent or something, I think a lot of people these days are like, to hell with the bonds, I'm just going to invest in stocks. Yeah. And look... There is a, a point, a valid point here, and that is that if you look over a long period of time, by which I mean, you know, like the forty-year returns from the permanent portfolio, it is actually going to underperform against the stock market because mm. um, you don't have the same growth component. I suppose what the permanent portfolio is really constructed to do is to have uh, less deviation. Well, you, you just don't have the same downturns, right? So yeah. um, now there's different iterations of this portfolio. You could make an Australian version of it. Um, there's the, the traditional sort of US-based um, permanent portfolio. And it, even that still has periods where it, it has a downturn, maybe 15% of the most. Um, but I guess if you compare what the S&P 500 went through, through the global financial crisis, a downturn of like 55% mm. or something. I guess you don't have the same roller coaster ride. And I guess that's where the peace of mind is a big benefit for some people. But I think particularly for people who are getting towards a point in their life where they really can't stomach a massive downturn, 
that's where something like the permanent portfolio might come into its own. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing that it seeks to do is, again, smooth out the volatility. But you also realise if you smooth your volatility, you smooth your returns. So as I mentioned in the last episode, you know, you get 16 and you get zero. So you end up with eight sort of thing. And what the permanent portfolio seeks to do is say, I'll just end up hopefully with nine or, you know, I'll end up with nine or 10 over an extended period of time. So hence the idea about it being an all weather portfolio. So it's worked out pretty well. Again, Pete, the thing with a lot of these strategies is that you can't you can't accurately predict how well they're going to perform or outperform. And it's it, it's a really, really interesting point because, you know, yourself, you know, when COVID hit, the market dropped 35% in a month, right? So, you know, how many people would have said, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's a one in 10 event? It's like, no, it's not. Then... How many people said, in actual fact, Steve, it'll be a great time to buy because it's going to bounce up 100% in the next year? You know, even while COVID is raging throughout the global <laughs> global uh, economy. So those sorts of things are really unpredictable. And so even like you say with bonds, sometimes in the shorter term, bonds have been a really good investment. So if you look at that approach, and this is what Brown sort of talks about, what he's saying is, you're not holding, you're, yes, you're holding bonds for a long period of time, but if you rebalance properly or, you know, back to 25% or whatever your allocation is, you'll pick up, you'll do really well because you'll take more money off the table when you've made it. Then when bonds underperform, you'll be rebalancing back into them at a lower price. So the thing that is really important in this strategy is not market cycles because what Harry's basically saying is this is an all weather portfolio. Don't worry about the cycles, and what's bit what you got to get right is the asset allocation, and that's simple: twenty five percent and everything. And the second part, which is you've got to rebalance, take out of your winners, put it into your losers. So mean reversion comes in there. Not, not necessarily on a, on a market cycles basis, but simply, again, saying when, you know, when something's doing really well, we all have a tendency to leave it because it's doing really well. And then, you know, I can use my personal example with Russian stocks. You know, things are going great. Gazprom's still on a PE of five. Jesus, you know, what a, what a, what a boomer. Rebalance, yep, and it's still doing really well. Crash goes to zero. Now, that, you know, that's painful, but it serves Harry Brown's point of saying if you have bonds when stocks are underperforming or, you know, have a rough time, you get covered. Now, you didn't make all the money when the stocks were going up, but you did all right. And so that, again, it's this idea of sort of rebalancing and, and looking and doing it on a systematic approach and again, the simplicity. Um, and a lot of the times you often sort of think, you know, oh, well, that's a, what, four assets? You know, is that it? Oh, that's a bit bloody simple. But it's, it really works, you know. It will stand you in good stead over time. Will you kill everybody every year? No, but you'll generally, you know, it's a bit more like the, the tortoise and the hare sort of stuff. <clears throat> yeah, so you've, you've made a, a really important point there. So even though the name implies something that is permanent. Um, the 
rebalancing principle of investing comes into play here. So you may have on day one, 25% in stock. So that might be, um, say, let's, for the sake of argument, the S&P 500, if you're US focused, 25% in long-term bonds. Then you've got 25% cash, which might mean in this context, um, sort of shorter term bills or mm. you know, more liquid investments. Yeah. And then 25% in precious metals or gold. But you're not just leaving those investments permanently. Yep. Uh, maybe once a year, I guess, uh, depending on your preference, you look to rebalance back to 25% and therefore almost uh, effectively forcing yourself to take profits on the best performers. So um, the rebalancing principle comes in. I suppose one thing that makes your life a, a lot easier these days is um, your 25% allocation to stocks. You don't have to spend hours you know, picking stocks to, to make up that allocation. You can simply pick an index yeah. and, and the job is done. Uh, so I think Harry Brown actually sort of recommends rebalancing once a year because I think you know, although you could do it quarterly, it becomes a bit of a faff and then it could actually be counterproductive in terms of not just the uh, the sort of costs involved in doing it, but actually you're just tweaking too often and you're taking yeah, away yeah. some of the benefits. You get tax benefits, you know, if you rebalance after 12 months. and In Australia particularly, yeah, pretty, that's right. Yeah, sort of standard stuff. So if you own an investment in Australia for over 12 months, the, the capital gains, uh, certainly under the current rules anyway, the capital gains tax liability is reduced. Um, now, I guess um, uh, most of our listeners are Australia-based, not all, but most. Um, now, you could these days look at creating an Australian equivalent of mm -hmm. the same portfolio. So uh, Vanguard uh, Aussie Shares Index would probably account for the, the stocks uh, component or yep. that quadrant of the, the portfolio. And then there's there's various other ETFs you could use for the equivalent. Now, let's talk about the, the sort of performance historically and what you might expect to see going forward. I mean, actually, the performance has been very good over 40 years. I mean, you might get a return of um, historically, depending on what you backtest, maybe 8 or 9% per annum from a permanent portfolio, which is higher than you might think, given the allocation to, to bonds and cash and gold. Um, now, of course, you would have done better in a 100% in a stock portfolio, but of course, it really depends on at which point in the cycle you're measuring that yeah, to. Yeah. So I suppose in, in terms of going forward, would you expect similar types of returns from this type of approach? I, I suspect so. It's, uh, you know, the old this time is different, like we were just sort of saying. The issue is the, is the future, and this is where, you know, this portfolio is quite good. What this portfolio is saying is, Steve, it doesn't matter what happens, you're covered. If the economy goes really well... No worries, your stocks will do well. If the economy goes really badly, no worries, your bond and your gold will do well. What we're trying to do is reduce the amount of subjectivity that you have to put into your assessment. Oh, stocks will probably go really well. So I'll make stocks 35% of the portfolio and I'll only make cash 15 And then you get COVID, the joint, you know, the, the stock market drops 35%. And I can tell you, you will then freak out and go, oh, shit, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I should over allocate now to gold or, you know. So, again, it's about saying, let's take the psychology out of it, recognising that we're flawed in terms of predictability. So from that point of view, you, you know, can you fiddle with it? Absolutely. Is 25% cash a lot? Absolutely. Most people go nuts if they got 10% cash these days, which is mad by my imagination. But 
generally you've got fairly good liquidity there, you know, with bonds um, and with gold and with stocks. These days, you know, you can, it's one click and you can sell. So provided you buy an index, you know, for uh, Australian stocks or you can use US stocks, you can say, well, actually what I'll do is I'm not going to put 25% in Australian stocks. I'll put 25 in Australian stocks and, uh, sorry, I'll put 12 and a half in Australian stocks and I'll put 12 and a half in US stocks. So you can, you know, again, you can put your own little flavour in it. The important point being that rebalancing, that's a really, really important process. And things like gold, you can replace it with ETFs these days, which is on the Australian uh, market, there's uh, an, a, uh, e an ETF that holds gold, silver, platinum and palladium, which, you know, at the moment look like they're going to do really well. Now, that's not a recommendation, blah, blah, blah. Call off the lawyers. But what we're saying is you can finesse these strategies to suit your own sort of, you know, arrangements. Um, and so from that point of view, it's, it, you know, I mean, geez, it's not bloody hard. It's got four assets and, you know, the you might want to say, I'm going to add a REIT to it, right, or something like that. So again, it's just using those principles and that logic of saying, okay, I just need to keep everything even and I'm not going to predict whether real estate's going to do well. I'm not going to predict whether uh, stocks do really well and I'm not going to predict whether gold does badly. It doesn't matter because you're getting a mix of winners and you're rebalancing and that way you'll succeed over the longer term. Yeah, you've uh, reminded me of an interesting point on the, the subjectivity. I think, um, I, I can't remember off uh, the cuff when this was the case, but I think Tony Robbins wrote a book on must, money mastering the game or whatever oh, it yeah, was. Yeah. And somewhere in there, I think it was based on a sort of Ray Dalio, the principle of sort of a, an all-weather portfolio. And he talked about a sort of a, a permanent allocation and it had a big chunk in there for bonds. And I remember there was quite a few of the financial gurus came out and sort of said, well, hang on, you know, who the hell's this guy, you know, writing, uh, you know, personal finance books. He's a, you know, he's a, a wellness guru or, or whatnot. But, um, uh, and the, the, the basic, um, I think it was people like Barry Ritholtz and people like that saying, well, hang on a second, we've seen this sort of uh, multi decade trend of falling interest rates and mm. this isn't going to continue this is nonsense and yet here we are today and interest rates have gone to zero yeah and, yeah well who would have said who would have said that five years ago well this is know. i think it, and that probably is the kind of time frame we're talking about yep. right so um, the fact that there was no subjectivity there you've just taken you back tested a strategy that does pretty well all of the time and it, it has you know that has continued to be the case um i guess you know, depending on when you were sort of recording this, you might say, well, stocks have done better or worse than you might have feared. Um, but it doesn't but matter in that point, in that sense. And, uh, and, you know, that's the point you're making by saying what it does is it actually it actually negates this stuff about cycles because all it's saying is it doesn't matter if stocks are doing really well because part of your portfolio mm. will be doing really well. Yeah. And when it does, take the money out of there. And then you go, oh, shit, gold hasn't done very well. Right, we'll make the profit and put it in gold. Because as you know, and we teach in our course with diversification, when stocks do really well, gold doesn't do well. When, when stocks don't do well, gold does really well. Now, the argument or the decision from an investor is, when do you get in and when do you get out of, you know, weighting your allocation? Well, what Harry says is, don't worry about it. Just put 25% in all of these things. 
you'll be making money over there. And when you stop making money over there, plonk it in there and you'll be making money over there. So, you know, I mean, you do have to look at it and go, like we say, you don't have to pick stocks. You can put your head on your pillow at night going, well, it doesn't matter which way I go, I'll probably do all right. Um, and I don't have to predict the future. So therefore, I'm covered, you know, in 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 your whole portfolio sense. Yes. And that being another one of our eight timeless principles, the systematic approach. I think I think that is really the key to this, isn't it? It's, um, you can't really, you can't adopt a sort of permanent portfolio, then chop and change it too yeah. much. Um, <laughs> I suppose- The, the, you the could, flexible portfolio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flexibly I, permanent. Yes, re reinventing your strategy every three months. <laughs> I, I think the, um, you could certainly make the case for, I, I think, if you, as long as you, um, you know, we're systematic about it. If the stock market really has, um, you know, craps its pants effectively, you could increase the allocation to stocks in that circumstance. Yeah, yeah. As long as you're not um, changing direction with the wind, I suppose. Um, I think the other thing is for an individual, you know, in the real world, it's not really as clean cut as this for a lot of us. You know, for example, in my case, I've got property mm. in my portfolio. So, you know, the, the amount that I've got to allocate to stocks, gold, bond and cash, it's not going to be 25% of my entire net worth but you yeah, could yeah. use you could use this for an element of your portfolio absolutely um now, final uh, sort of question on this what is the do you think the the benefit of going down this route um the permanent portfolio as opposed to picking a fund manager to do the equivalent for you because it wouldn't be that difficult to do i guess to find a a fund that sort of replicated a, a similar permanent portfolio Obviously, that potentially would come with a cost, but what about the benefits of doing it yourself as opposed to outsourcing? Well, the, the, the benefit of outsourcing it is saying, if I freak out, I can ring the portfolio manager, but the portfolio manager might talk me back off the ledge. And that's an advantage of you know having someone who's a, a little more experienced and understands the market cycles and that sort of stuff. Now, you will pay for that, and that's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you do it yourself, it's a lot cheaper. You know, we've talked about cost control and choice. Um, in this case, you don't get a lot of choice because you're just selecting four really simple uh, ETFs, which you can do these days. You know, the ASX, you can buy it. You can use VAS. You can use gold, G-O-L-D, as an ETF. You can uh, use bond, B-O-N-D, as bonds, and you'd stick 25 in cash. There's even cash ETFs. So, you know, that's pretty simple. The advantage is if you if you know, and again, we talked about this last week and we, we run this theme all the time, you've got to understand your own psychology. If it's no good having a strategy if when it starts to go a little bit wobbly, you start to panic. This strategy is quite good because what you what you do is you tend to look at the winners and go, oh, that's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy because I'm making money in stocks. Generally, if the whole portfolio is advancing, it doesn't really matter if you go, oh, I'm really disappointed with my gold. Oh, bugger it, I'm going to sell gold, right? It's just, you know, it's a really, it, it reduces that volatility, which is really, really important. So from that point of view, if you can, if, and again, this is why we sort of, when we coach people say, look, there's, you know, your brain's got two bits. It's got the emotional bit and the rational bit. We'll give you the knowledge to help you when your brain goes irrational to say, okay, I'm just going to have a think about this. Righto, okay, now, you know, that's why I've got my goal doing well because my stocks are going to hell in a handbasket. But 
at the end of the year, I'm going to rebalance out a goal and I'm going to go back into stocks. So, you know, again, it just helps the volatility in your portfolio, but it hope it helps your emotional volatility from being, you know, things are going fantastic to things are going terrible because with this portfolio, it actually smooths all of that out. So you won't get the booming returns, you'll get some of them. You won't get the crushing losses, you'll only get a little bit of them. And so again, these low volatility strategies have actually outperformed. And this is where, you know, you and I have talked about the, the geometric return and the importance of the way mathematics actually works. And that's the benefit of this strategy. It's really, I mean, you know, you could, what, 15 minutes? You know, early January, you come in, you go, you add up the total, divide it by four and do what you've got to do across four ETFs. That's it. That's all you really do. There's there's nothing else to it. So effectively, index and get on with your life, essentially, yeah. is the message. And you can see here uh, the, the concept of knowing thyself, personality and decision making. You can see how all of our eight timeless principles do flow through these investment strategies. One of the thought principles is understanding your personality, you know, take the Enneagram assessment, understand, you know, what are the risk areas for you as an individual? Because I think a lot of the battle when it comes to investing is, you know, whether you make 8% or 8.6, you know, that might might not be the biggest uh, thing. The most important thing is you just don't balls it all up. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, don't lose money. Yes, exactly, to uh, paraphrase Mr. Buffett. So um, I think um, we'll put a link in the show notes to a couple of uh, books, Fail Safe Investing by Harry Brown. There is another book that's worth the read on the permanent portfolio. But this um, is a strategy for that certainly I think could apply if you're looking for a peace of mind, and particularly if you're getting to a stage in life where you just don't fancy yeah, <laughs> having yeah. volatility or a Absolutely. big downturn, um, it really can come into its own there. So uh, definitely um, some value add there, especially as the superannuation hoves into view for some mm. of us. Uh, so thanks for uh, today, Steve. We look forward to uh, reviewing another of the investment strategies next week. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Pete. See you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.